Welcome to Ms. Interpreted, her podcast of public relations and strategic communications, demystified by Kelly Fletcher and Fletcher Marketing PR. From Mary Beth, I absolutely love this question, and it's multifaceted. This has been a topic that, as we're putting together the conference for IEDC in Tennessee, this is at the top of the list and is one that is one in which communities and even leaders are kind of staring away from. For the first time in my 25-year career, we are seeing companies make decisions, not just on infrastructure, but now, how does the community vote? That social awareness, companies are becoming more in tune with that. And not all companies feel the same way about issues. And so for the first time, we've actually encountered people saying, how does your community vote on this type of legislation or activities in your community? This social awareness is very much a part of the site selection process now. Welcome listeners to the Misinterpreted Podcast. I'm Kelly Fletcher, CEO of Fletcher Marketing PR, and I'm happy to have my colleague here with us, Fletcher Senior Strategist, Mary Beth West. Hey there, Kelly. It's great to join you here and hello to our listeners. And for anyone who lives and works in more rural communities, which I like to call God's country, we have an amazing show for you today on applying the best PR and reputation building to economic development in America's heartland. I love this concept for today's episode because I'm originally from mountain country, the mountains of Western North Carolina, which is very similar to East Tennessee. And Mary Beth, you're from none other than Mule Town, USA, right? (laughs) Columbia, Tennessee. Oh, yeah. Uh, Proud to say it. I certainly am. Incidentally, if you I don't think in my humble opinion, you have even lived in Tennessee until you have been to the Mule Day Parade in Murray County, which is about 35 miles south of Nashville. It's quite uh, quite an event to behold. Well, hey, we have a Mule Day Parade in North Carolina, too, down in the eastern part of the state. No way. So I I have a little (laughs) bit of a mental picture of this. And for our listeners who are based internationally outside the U.S. or or you're not tuned into Southern culture in particular, it's not all that uncommon for small Southern towns and rural communities to have these very distinctive festivals and annual celebrations that have been going on for 100 or more years focused on their rural and agrarian roots. I mean, where I'm from in North Carolina, I mean, we, we have them all. We have the watermelon festival, the ham and yam. We have dogwood. Rose the ham and, and um, wait, 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 time out. The ham and yam. Ham and y- yams are sweet potatoes, right. you know, and they go really <laughs> good with ham. So okay. we also have a strawberry festival, a peach festival, a seafood festival, you name it. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. So, well, okay, well, so you get the idea. So the Mule Day is all about celebrating the fact that Back in the mid-1800s, Columbia was known as the mule trading capital of the agricultural world, believe it or not. So quite literally. So in modern day terms, though, it's kind of fun because this homegrown type of celebration has become this major nostalgia throwback kind of thing. It's steeped in Southern charm. Huge driver, though, of tourism each year to Murray County, where I'm from. Yeah, the South is really hot right now. And then and you have a parade with it, too, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's basically you and 200,000 of your fellow mule enthusiasts. And if you're from Murray County, 
nearly everyone you went to high school with is there too, because it's also this big kind of homecoming event as well. So, and the parade attracts all these major politicians. I will say that the first time I ever saw in person, then Senator and future Vice President Al Gore was when he was walking up West 7th Street in downtown Columbia for the Mule Day Parade. So it's just, you know, these small town types of events have a, you know, major impact on on uh, how rural communities have traditionally tried to market themselves. Well, and I've been with you to Murray County and in, in meetings with the Murray Chamber over there. Well, these throwback festivals have been used by small towns and rural communities for years as drivers of economic development. And not only to market a particular product or cash crop the community is known for, but also to help bring in visitors and tourism dollars. But today, there are some non-metropolitan communities that are applying very metropolitan level sophistication to their economic development strategies. And we're lucky today to have one top chamber executive join us to talk about the strategies he and his team have used for several decades now to recruit a strong industrial base, grow diverse local jobs, and really chart a sustainable course for the community's future. Yeah, and that's the that's the whole key is that I think so many communities you can have a big economic development win, but it's you know how you sustain that for the long term and make that work year in year out. We are indeed fortunate to welcome to misinterpreted Brian Daniels, who leads the Blunt Partnership in Blunt County, Tennessee, which is the community immediately south of Knoxville, Tennessee. It's also home to the peaceful side of the Smokies tourism brand as a major gateway community to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. And Blunt County is also home to some high-profile manufacturing employers in the state, such as Denso Manufacturing and Arconic Tennessee Operations. So, yes, this is great to have him on the program. Yeah, I've been telling a lot of people that Blunt County is kicking some butt right now. And Brian has made quite a name for himself because he's made quite a name for Blunt County mm-hmm. as a destination community for both tourism and a high-quality-of-life business address. In 2015, the Tennessee Chamber of Commerce Executive of the Year, the Tennessee Chamber of Commerce and Industry, that's Brian Daniels. Yes, and previous to his CEO post, he served as Executive Vice President for the Blunt Partnership for 10 years before being named President and CEO. And he and his staff lead economic development activities throughout Blunt County, including cities like Alcoa, Maryville, Townsend, Rockford, Friendsville, Louisville, so the just the entire county footprint, but also works very closely from a regional perspective with other economic development authorities. The Blunt Partnership itself consists of the Blunt County Chamber of Commerce, the Blunt County Economic Development Board, and a Fletcher Marketing PR client, the Smoky Mountain Tourism Development Authority. Yes, yeah, so with all of that ado, Brian, we'd like to welcome you to the podcast. Welcome to Misinterpreted. Thank you both for uh, having me. That's uh, too much of an introduction for myself. There's a a lot of history here, a lot of expectation in the community for what we do. And so I just happen to be at the right place at the right time, leading a great group of professionals within the Blood Partnership and volunteers in the community. It's truly a special place to be. And thank you for the opportunity of, uh, of sitting down and chatting with both of you today. Well, Thank you for being here. And so to start the conversation, Brian, let's talk about your own hometown roots. You grew up in another rural Tennessee community in Greenville, Tennessee, right? I did. So how did that, how, tell us about that and how it shaped your early outlook on the power of Tennessee's rural markets. Wow, I didn't think we'd be going that far back. I thought we were going to talk about <laughs> what's going on in Black County. I'm not sure 
<laughs> my my growing up was of interest, but like you said, I'm from a rural part of uh, East Tennessee. Part of my family on my father's side were farmers, and then on my mother's side, uh, they were owners of a very successful sand and gravel uh, operation for East Tennessee. You know, I got exposed to two worlds, you could say, growing up. Uh, my father worked for the sand and gravel side of of the family for a little bit, but then he went to Eastman Chemical Company and had a long career there. My mother was actually a dance instructor for 30 years. We travel up to New York and for dance masters, and then she was also a psychologist. So I got exposed quite a bit to a lot of aspects of, of life. I was given a uh, well, I wasn't given. I was expected a, a hard work ethic. The family was, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs were in our family. And so there was a lot of expectation. Whatever you were giving, you would over deliver the results that were expected. So that was just kind of ingrained in me at an early age. And I find myself at times just always being busy because if you're sitting, then you're not being productive. And that just kind of goes back to the upbringing I had. Right. Oh, yeah, I can relate. <laughs> yeah. And well, Brian, and one other thing that uh, this is really fascinating to me, all the, you know, the aspects of your upbringing and your growing up years, your university degree, interestingly, was in engineering and you started your career in Nashville, right? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, so my uh, bachelor's degree was in communications and computer science. And my master's degree was in engineering technology, both from East Tennessee State. I was just very active in college. Again, if you're going just to classes and focused on your grades, that's not enough. And so I was very active in campus life from Greek life to the Student Government Association within the university, involved in a, a group called President's Pride. And it's just a group within ETSU uh, that works with the university president and uh, on kind of ambassadors from their student council out to prospective businesses or people visiting the university. Uh, but that really led me, I had finished a co-op at Eastman Chemical, was going to do a career at Eastman, and had uh, was in my last semester of my graduate degree. The career services director had pulled me aside and said, I think you need to go to Nashville and do an internship. And I'm already focused on my career at Eastman. I was going to go to law school also. And, you know, I'd spent seven years in school and was ready to get into work and, and law school. He just talked me into going to Nashville and doing this internship. And the internship was for the Department of Economic and Community Development. I worked for Governor Sunquist as an intern that led into a job. And, um, I ended up working there for a little while, and then I left going to law school. And um, it really, that short time I was with ECD, I worked a lot of projects. I really just tried to make the most of the experience. Uh, economic development was not going to be a career that I was going to focus on. My engineering background, law was going to be my focus. But once I really got involved with the state and Governor Sunquist, it really just began to take hold. But when I left for law school, I had folks tell me, yeah, you need to go back. I mean, you, you need to stay with economic development. So I ended up taking a career in that. All right. So I should mention here that this week that we're recording this interview with you, 
is by pure happenstance. We did not realize it until we were researching for this podcast. It's National Economic Development Week, which is managed by the International Economic Development Council. And I believe you are on that board of directors. I am. I've uh, I've been fortunate to serve in that role for uh, nine years now, or no, excuse me, eight years now. Happy to represent the state of Tennessee, and uh, we're looking forward to uh, the time. It's Economic Development Week, but Tennessee, for the first time, is going to play host to the International Economic Summit that IEDC uh, puts on every year. It is back in the United States, and Music City is going to be the home of this year's Economic Summit uh, in October. And you will see 18 different countries represented. Uh, everyone from the federal government to local government will be there. Also, site consultants, those are people that we go market to that work projects, will be there in attendance. And roughly uh, around 2,000 people, uh, 2,000 leaders from across the world will be there as we talk about economic policies for the world. It's really exciting that it's coming to Tennessee, not just the United States, but to our state. And I know you had a pivotal role in making that happen. So kudos to you. And so to get to the heart of our conversation today, there are a few rural communities in the state of Tennessee or probably in the entire Southeast that have had more success than Blunt County in recruiting and not only just recruiting, but retaining business industry and creating great jobs in the local area. So I have to ask, what's the what's the secret sauce of your success, Brian, and the success of the partnership and your entire team? Well, I'll tell you, I, I don't think it's one thing that is driving that, but I will tell you what stands out for me, having worked throughout parts of Tennessee, North Carolina, Virginia, other parts of the Southeast, is the community itself. There is a inherent desire and expectation in this community that everybody's going to work together. The cities are going to work together. The county's going to work together. The chamber business community is going to work together. And if anyone chooses to go out on their own or have a different vision or a, a different way of working, the community doesn't, doesn't tolerate it. And I have seen uh, leaders come and go during my tenure here those that don't embrace this cooperation that's expected. And so what it affords Blount County is that we're able to play bigger than we are. We're able to recruit bigger than we are. We're able to be a destination bigger than we are. So normally when we're competing for projects, whether that's to keep companies here or to recruit new ones in, it always comes up, my gosh, how are you all so small, but you're competing with the Charlotte, North Carolinas, the Cincinnati, Ohio's, the Columbus, Ohio's, the Atlanta, Georgia's, the Nashville's. Why are you always there? It is geographic of the transportation network. It is the quality of life here. But more importantly, it is that sense of cooperation and pooling those resources where we're much more potent than our competition is. I've seen that firsthand on the tourism side for sure. Right. I love the fact that this is a community that is without those silos and without those kind of fiefdoms, if you will. It really does make a big difference. And I think it's been part of the Blunt County calling card. And, and I think that you've done a remarkable job in establishing that reputation and ensuring consistency with that reputation. And, you know, when we look at just a big focal point of the misinterpreted podcast, you know, a big part of what we try to do 
Kelly and I, and, and just even having this podcast, is to dispel a lot of the myths and misunderstandings and misconceptions about issues, and not only in PR, but just in business in general. And whenever we have you know people come on, we have them talk about what are the biggest myths or misunderstandings that they have to confront in the work that they do. One of the things that does strike me about the political environment that we're in, and we're and this is not a political podcast, but I just have to invoke this. You know, we lived in, live today, I think, in very highly politicized times in a highly politicized era right now. One of the big divides in our nation where you literally see the delineation of red versus blue in political terms are these large metropolitan markets like what you just mentioned, Brian, versus the rural communities of America. And it's just striking to me that how those perspectives of those who live in big metro markets sway left and those in rural markets tend at least, I mean, generalizing a little bit, of course, but they generally sway more to the right. And those divides do drive stereotypes and misconceptions in the large media markets. They also drive a lot of maybe international misconceptions like the New York or the D.C. or the Atlantas of the world, to name some, uh, but also internationally about what life really is like in a heartland kind of community. So my question is this. When you're out there recruiting on behalf of Blunt County, do you see misperceptions about more rural communities as being less than large metro markets negatively impacting rural communities and their ability to succeed? So Mayor Beth, I absolutely love this question and it's multifaceted. This has been a topic that as we're putting together the conference for IEDC in Tennessee, this is at the top of the list and is one that is one in which communities and even leaders are kind of staring away from. For the first time in my 25-year career, we are seeing companies make decisions, not just on infrastructure, but now, how does the community vote? That social awareness, companies are becoming more in tune with that. And not all companies feel the same way about issues. And so, for the first time, we've actually encountered people saying, how does your community vote on this type of legislation or activities in your community. This social awareness is very much a part of the site selection process now. There clearly is a divide between what we call urban and rural. There's different challenges. Broadband access is one of those. What really is a differentiator is labor force. Uh, right now, the number one incentive that a community can offer a company is not tax abatements, is not infrastructure. Those are important. It is, do you have the labor or not? And not just warm bodies, but a skilled labor force. Your rural communities struggle with, with having the resources to train people and at the same time providing the infrastructure needed like broadband to service companies. And even manufacturers need access to broadband widely and they need their workers to have access to broadband because they're communicating over that technology to, to tell them what's going on with the company. So there is this continuing divide. Unfortunately, we see more attrition in rural America than we do the urban areas just because it's that quality of life piece. And so it is a real challenge that our profession has been trying to focus on 
and really driving our leaders to these rural areas, you know, it is not their problem. It's our problem as a community of making sure that there's equity with everybody because the urban areas can't just take on all that population. We need them to be successful for us to be successful also. So it's a conversation we're having as a profession as we speak. And also keeping the talent in their communities instead of having, you know, they go off to college and then they don't come back or they move away because they think the grass is greener and being able to keep them, keep that talent in our rural communities is also a big factor. Would, would you say, would you agree? Oh, absolutely. I will tell you for our organization, we've created a, a department that has just as much resources as our primary economic development or tourism departments, and it's a workforce department. And they're out in our local school systems talking about what opportunities lay before them and what they can earn in these different career paths and really trying to get them into early career paths with these companies. And moreover, we're now involved in more community development initiatives because kids, young employees, those up-and-comers, they're choosing a sense of place before career. And like when I went to, through school, you just moved wherever the job was at. Now that is totally flipped to where individuals are deciding where they want to live, and then they're, they'll move there and they're looking for employment opportunities after they get there. So there's a lot of pressure on communities to make themselves attractive for a young labor force to live there. Well, and Black County certainly is. You know, we have the, the gateway to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, and we have that kind of Denver-esque on the East Coast quality. So let's talk about some of Black County's most recent success stories. Our team at Fletcher had an opportunity just several weeks ago in April to help Kim Mitchell, who is the Director of Tourism, and Lauren Emmert, who works with you in economic development, and other members of your team, too, to promote the announcement about a new bourbon whiskey distiller. And Company Distilling is bringing multi-use facilities to Townsend and Alcoa for manufacturing, tasting rooms, outdoor activities. I'll call it a twofer. You get Townsend and Alcoa. And it's going to also be expanding into Middle Tennessee and Thompson Station. It incorporates not only new jobs and contributions to the tax base, but it will also help promote Blunt County tourism really on an international level. The project is expected to create 60 new jobs. Partners are investing over $20 million, and these partners are impressive. They include former Jack Daniels master distiller Jeff Arnett, Chris Tatum, who was going to serve as president, Chris Tatum of Old Forge Distillery, and also former president of the Tennessee Distillers Guild. We have um, H. Clark Distillery, Heath Clark out in Thompson Station. We have Kevin Clayton from Clayton Homes and Corey Clayton and Brian. These kind of marquee projects seem to just be happening more and more regularly for Blunt County. And this cannot be by accident. What are some other major projects that have either happened recently or that you can tell us about at a high level? What, what's in the pipeline for Blunt County? You're exactly right. These projects don't happen just overnight. They are many times years in the development. Uh, with this distillery. We've worked on this project for the better part of seven years, of which it really began to take up some momentum three years ago uh, with the founders you just mentioned. 
similar projects that are diversifying the community. You look at Cirrus Aircraft, that's a one they're proud of. That's tourism and primary economic development. They are the hottest selling private aircraft in the market today with piston airplanes and jet aircraft. You're seeing also a lot of R&D companies that have moved into our area. Siemens has a huge campus here around healthcare. These projects are really designed to diversify our economy and really like the distillery uh, specifically, those get back to that quality of life I'd mentioned before that we have to be engaged in community development to make ourselves attractive for the labor force. So projects like that, you're going to see more of those in our community. And we're proud to work with the city of Alcoa and the city of Maryville in some of their downtown efforts and revitalization and new opportunities there that will be opening up this year. Or we'll be announcing this year, I should say. Right. Well, and one of the things that kind of springboarding, too, from what you mentioned earlier about the Nashville conference that's coming in, you know, internationally, I did want to make sure we were just emphasizing how much a big part of the secret to your success has been this outbound um, kind of approach toward generating your own opportunity and doing a lot of the international outreach. I know you've had, you know, a lot of partners internationally. Those are relationships that you've developed on your own. I think a lot of rural communities rely almost entirely on their state departments of economic development to bring these industrial recruitment projects to them. But for some decades now, Blunt County has been just so purposeful about venturing out on its own to places like Japan and Germany throughout Europe and you know, a lot of different places to get Blunt County on the map for international site selectors, for manufacturing expansions, other projects like that. My father-in-law, Steve, who thinks so highly of you and has just been a big fan of yours for a long time, he's really enjoyed the opportunity to work with you and other business owners to help with industrial recruitment trips, you know, and having that volunteer team approach with just different business owners in the community who care about the future of the community coming together, volunteering their time, working with the staff, being really collaborative. So if you could tell us a little bit about the network of local business owners here in Blunt County and the, that spirit of teamwork and partnership and support that they've provided, it just seems like that's something special and something that's kind of unique here too. Yeah, thank you for that question. Let me kind of answer that this way with a small little story. When I came to work here, I'd worked here about six months, and I was very proud of the results we were getting. I hadn't left the Department of Economic Development much, and a lot of, of activity was coming through the door. And I, I, I felt secure. And Fred Forrester, a few other leaders in the community pulled me aside and said, I'm not sure you're going to make it here. And I was just dumb. I was I was just amazed of, what do you mean I'm not going to make it here? I'm giving all these hours. I'm trying to push this community forward. Where am I missing the boat? And they said, you're not volunteering outside of work. I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, in this community, you need to be a part of something bigger than yourself, bigger than your, your work. That's an expectation we have of all of our leaders here. And so you look at your father-in-law, like Steve West, Jerome Moon, Fred Lawson, all these leaders in our community for years have given of their resources. And it's more than writing a check. It's the most precious resource we have is time. And these individuals give of their time and be ambassadors of the community and they expect nothing for it. 
these recruiting trips that you were mentioning before, Blount County has been doing international recruitment on its own dime, on its own efforts with its own staff overseas since 1982. And the folks that go with us on our trade missions, they pay that out of their own pocket. That isn't a taxpayer paying that. Of course, they, you know, I'm a paid staff to go over there and recruit and our staff there is too, but all these volunteers, that's just part of being in this community. And that's really a secret here of that stewardship that you see in the DNA of the community, these leaders stepping forward with their own resources of just think of how much time and money that takes to go off to go to a different country and they are choosing to work it versus vacate and enjoy it. And anybody that's been on these trips with us, it is not glamorous. It may sound like, oh, they're going to, you know, London or they're going to Frankfurt, Germany, or they're on those things. And if you've ever been on one of our recruiting trips, you see the country from a car window. We are in constant movement. We are in front of these companies. We are trying to leave an impression. And there is no better impression that is left that you have all these cadre of community leaders there on their own resources speaking how much the community means to them. That is such a powerful median. And it's one that's just inherent. It goes back to that volunteerism, that expectation in the community that we're all going to get along. We're all going to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Those those leaders set that standard so far ago, and that's we're reaping the rewards of that. So what we're trying to do is not lose sight and continue to perpetuate that. There are a lot of cities and towns all across America that could really use that same kind of spirit right now. And, you know, speaking from being a small business owner myself, just having the time to get away and go and travel internationally when you still have work back home. That's a big deal. I mean, that's a that just speaks volumes. And well, as we wrap up this chat, Brian, I just want to say a huge congratulations to you and your staff and everything you're accomplishing. And also just a big thank you for letting our team serve alongside yours. We love your mission. We're, we're passionate about what we do with the tourism group. And as a final question, looking to the future, where do you see Black County going over the next three to five years in its pathway for economic growth? particularly as our entire world continues to deal with the repercussions of the pandemic and we're looking more toward rural communities of hotbeds of relocation, urban flight, and you know, renewed urban flight, and also just um, what's going on with our economy. Yeah, I think what you'll see from us will be a focus on developing our community to be more welcoming, to be more interesting to that younger labor force. Because right now, that for us is the only stumbling block we kind of need to address right now. We have the infrastructure there in place. We continue to invest in those opportunities. But if you don't have the labor, then you're going to fall short. So really looking at how we develop out as a community and the offerings and how inclusive we are is really where a lot of effort is going to be over the next several years for us. We have the same challenges that most other metro areas are having right now. And it's those communities that are recognizing it, really taking a hard look and doing something about it will be the ones that will be successful in the the back end. Well, that makes good sense. And Brian, we just, again, can't thank you enough for all the work that you do on behalf of not only those of us who live and work right here in Blount County, but just throughout the East Tennessee region, because 
it's really a all ships rise kind of mentality. And I do think that throughout East Tennessee, the whole region has benefited from the work that you and your team have done. So huge thanks to you for joining us here on Misinterpreted. We appreciate you, Brian. Yeah, thank you all very much for the opportunity. And to our listeners, thank you for supporting the Misinterpreted podcast by Fletcher Marketing PR. You can learn more about the Blunt Partnership in Blunt County, Tennessee at bluntpartnership.com. And that's with Blunt spelled B-L-O-U-N-T. And let me be blunt. Don't forget the O. And listeners, <laughs> uh, please uh, follow us at Twitter handle Fletcher PR. You can also follow Kelly at Twitter handle KD Fletcher and me at Mary Beth West. And a special thanks too to our sound engineer, Chris Hill with Knoxville-based TumblePod. Everyone, thanks for tuning in. Until next time. Thanks for joining us on Misinterpreted, Public Relations Demystified. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at FletcherMarketingPR.com and on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll see you next time 